Welcome to the Keon Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee. As you've seen over the last several weeks, we've had on one WWF legend after another, as well as some uh, competitors from the UFC, MMA World, Bellator as well. Today, we continue that trend with WWF legend Sean Mooney. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Sean Mooney. On the hotline with us now here on Keon Sports is Sean Mooney. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Oh, pretty good. How are you today? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Uh, considering what we're all going through right now, you know, uh, we all uh, learn to adapt, and uh, that's that's what we're doing out here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, up here in Northeast Ohio, uh, definitely the same. We're actually getting ready for high school football up here, which is uh, really for us at Keon Sports. One of the biggest things we broadcast is high school football, so we're just all kind of hoping. We're hoping we get a season, but uh, you know, who knows? It's not looking too good, to be honest with you. Are they really trying to to put something together? Like, they're gonna have kids on the field, and yeah, they're already having practices, like camps and everything, where they keep them separate, the offense from the defense, just running some drills, but. That might be all we at get this year. Point, at some point, they're going to have to run into each other. So yeah. we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. Because uh, yeah, that's uh, I know they're trying to uh, they do that here out where I am, but uh, you know I'm, I'm out in uh, Arizona, and the uh, U of A is uh, you know the school here, and it's just uh, it's kind of crazy. I don't know how uh, uh, what kind of a season we're going to have, or fans are going to be in the stands. I saw the Dodgers. They're going to have cutouts in the stands, so it, is, uh, it has become quite a crazy world. No, no question about that. Yeah, agreed. So um, I, I'll throw this out there real quick for you before we kind of get to the wrestling questions. I'm actually a huge fan of uh, Arizona basketball, the, uh, the college itself. Wow. Yeah, and Kenny, uh, being up here in Cleveland, Ohio, Kenny Lofton is, uh, was one of the few people to ever play in the NCAA I think Final Four, and then in the World Series as well, with the Indians, and obviously there was on a Wildcats. But I'm a huge Wildcats basketball fan. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's quite a uh, you know a storied history with it. I mean, especially with the Lou Olson years. And when I uh, moved back here, I went to work with Fox Sports Arizona, which was you know a regional sports network here. And so I was during those. You know, great years, uh, not not when they won the national championship, but not long after that. I covered them for like 10 years, so I uh, got to know Lute Olsen very well and a lot of those great players that came through there, uh, you know, Richard Jefferson and uh, Luke Walton and, uh, you know, all those those great players they had during that that period of time went to the Final Four with them. Uh, I think it was twice when uh, I was there. And went to I don't know how many NCAA tournaments, but uh, yeah, that was that was phenomenal. They've they've just had so many great athletes go through there, and, and Lofton is definitely one of those unique freak talents that you know. <laughs> I don't think he even played that much baseball, uh, but you know he's just one of those wired athletes that uh, you know just just whatever the sport is, whatever the the uh, playing field you put him on, he, he he's going to do well, and and uh, you know. Baseball helped him, helped him extend his uh, athletic career for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. Um, and not too, not too far from you guys. Actually, uh, Lofton was one of the biggest names I ever interviewed when I started my career about six years ago. Um, I landed, I landed him like almost immediately as an interview, and that's before I ever had really done anything. I was like shocked that he wanted to do it, but uh, that was, I mean, that was really cool. I was kind of, you know, you know, that's when you come out of being a fan and you become a journalist, and it's like. 
you're still a fan at heart, you know? So that that was a crazy one for sure. And then I got to throw this out you know, real quick, and I, I promise we'll start talking wrestling here in a second. But um, – No, take your time. Yeah. Believe me, we can talk about wrestling. <laughs> I, I've talked about that enough over the years. So whatever um, you want to throw at me, otherwise it's fine too. The other big thing out there where, where you're at not only is, is – um, spring training baseball which i think is on every sports fan's bucket list to get out to spring training one day uh arizona you know tucson used to have uh goodyear was where the indians were um and uh yeah i mean just one of those things but um also in arizona is is the college clearly you know asu arizona state university the sun devils one of my all-time favorite football players went there jake Plummer. And it's, you know, we're, we're big Buckeye fans out here in, um, cause I'm about two hours North of Columbus, I'd say. So we love the, we love the Ohio State Buckeyes. Well, they won the Rose Bowl back in, I want to say 97, but just barely over Jake the Snake Plumber and Arizona State. Did you ever come in uh, touch with him at all? No, you know, uh, during those years, man, I didn't get back here to Arizona till almost 2000. So, you know, I, there was a lot of great Arizona sports that I missed while I was gone. But, of course, you know, being back east in the New York area, <laughs> they got a few things going on back there, too. But, uh, no, I, I missed a lot of that here. And, you know, when I grew up here in Arizona, uh, you know, we didn't have many sports teams. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm up there. So uh, we always had to root for – you had to, you know, uh, pick a California team or we had a lot of – kids who were Cowboys fans because it was Texas that was kind of close uh, geographically and uh, you know I, I I was a Dodgers fan and uh, and then when uh, as far as football the Broncos because we had a lot of Arizona players that went up there and played mm-hmm. and uh, you know then I went back east and, and worked in New England for a while I became a Patriots fan because Teddy Bruschi and uh, you know of course Bronkowski but I was there when Bledsoe was the quarterback when I was working back in Boston. Sure. So uh, I, I've I've been one of those that uh, at least had the opportunity to root for a number of teams because it wasn't we didn't have a home hometown team. So uh, you know we you, you got to root for the Cardinals. But I was growing up they weren't here you know and, uh, and so I've, I've I I do root for them as uh, now that I'm here. But not not uh, it's not like born into me like when I was a kid. Yeah, and I'll tell you what else. In the in the New England Patriots Hall of Fame one day, they should put this guy in there. And I don't, he never played a snap for him, but fans will know what I'm talking about here in a second. The name of the guy is Mo Lewis, and the reason why I say that is I'm almost positive he's the one who delivered the hit on Bledsoe, who knocked him out of the game that began the Tom Brady era. Am I, I'm I'm correct on that, aren't I? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I can't, I can't confirm that because I, I had, I left Boston, but I just know it wasn't working with him and, and uh, Pete. Uh, that, did, that didn't work out too well. But I, I do remember one thing. One, when you mentioned Bledsoe, you know, and I, I lived uh, uh, down in Medfield, which is south of, of Boston, when I was there, and uh, Bledsoe had built this was in the process he built this colonial and there there were some you know it was a very affluent area they had big homes there but it was kind of one of these places was kind of turning you know where they do these knockdowns and uh he built this colonial uh 
and I think it was just ridiculous. I think it had like a 12 car garage and, sure. you know, it was just this gigantic, massive thing and it took forever to build. And I just remember I, I left if he was still the quarterback. And then when he, you know, left the Patriots, I remember, I think at his press conference, he said something like, does anybody want to, in the, in the market for a, a really big house? <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. think he ever even lived in the thing, but <laughs> we used to, we used to drive over to look at it. I would tell people, you got to see this. And we would drive over there. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Pete Carroll lived in the in the neighborhood down there too. They all liked living down south because you know it was uh, not too far from Foxborough. And uh, yeah, those some good stories. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, no, that's all good. That's funny yeah. as heck. Yeah. The uh, Medfield too. That was Peter McNeely, the first guy to fight Tyson after his uh, his first stint in prison yeah. was Peter McNeely from Medfield, Mass. But right. yeah. yeah. See, I, I I got all this useless knowledge, man. I can I can't talk politics or science, but I could. That's I could... always the most interesting, though. <laughs> that's 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and since we're we're talking sports, there's a lot of people I mentioned that I worked for uh, Major League Baseball Productions, and you said that uh, you know that uh, you thought maybe I was a, a Yankees fan, but my I grew up out here in Arizona. I had an opportunity to they uh, shot a show out here in uh, in uh, Tucson. Uh, called the baseball bunch and it was a show that johnny bench hosted and they liked doing it out here because it was a right to work state and it was near spring training and they actually had spring training here you know the, the indians were here uh back when i was a kid yep. and they, they actually had some teams out and then of course the white Sox, and uh, that was uh you know uh, for many years but anyway uh so i got the opportunity to work for major league baseball production so that was my first job in, in you know working in sports television and that's how I got my start. And I was I was a producer and uh, started to get in front of the camera because that was the early days of cable. And nobody knew what the hell to do with it. You know, that was it was just this new animal that had 500 channel channels and they were trying to fill it up. So Major League Baseball was dipping their uh, fingers into it. And Major League Baseball Productions was actually part of Major League Baseball. We were an arm uh, of the uh, of the league. So that was just, uh, you know, an opportunity when you're like 22 years old. And here we are based in New York. I'm living in New York City. Uh, our building was right near 30 Rock. And uh, we used to get, we had, you know, National and American League passes they gave us that we were, because we were part of the league. And we used to be able to take the subway up to Yankee Stadium and eat dinner and, <laughs> and watch part of the game. And if we were working, we'd go down and do interviews, then get back in the subway and head back into the city. But I had a chance to uh, produce a bunch of highlight films. Nobody really knew that, or probably knows that. I uh, produced uh, four highlight films for the Dodgers. I did their 25-year history film. Uh, another uh, trivia that nobody really uh, probably knows is uh, I produced um, the center field uh, video that they had on MTV with, uh, um, uh, what's his name? You know, Put Me In Coach. Oh, John Fogarty? John Fogarty, yeah. Oh, wow. I, uh, I, produ I produced that, if you know, it's the black and white old yeah. video. And they used to, on MTV, they would have credits on there. And I had a credit as an editor uh, on that thing. But I actually, I cut that thing on a uh, one of the editing bays there. And it's all straight cuts, if you look at it originally, to to the music. And uh, it was just a really, it was a crazy opportunity that I, I had this idea when they came over. They had these guys come into. Uh, the production house because John wanted to do it with real, you know, video of uh, or film actually from you know the old days of baseball, and I had been, you know, combing through these because I was doing 
different shows. I ended up doing a show called Greats of the Game with Tim McCarver, and um, we produced, uh, I think we did three seasons of that. But it was just a, a wonderful opportunity, and it really gave me a, a really deep background in, in television production and producing. And so by the time I got to the WWF, I mean, it's funny because Vince makes everybody do all these different things. And I was always amazed that he never said, hey, you know what? You produce, too. Why don't you help do some of this stuff? Because I was just purely a talent the whole time I was there. But uh, I had spent six years, almost seven years, uh, you know, producing television shows. So anyway. How did you land with the WWF anyways? Like, how did that even come about? Well, as I mentioned with the, you know, the age of cable television and I look back now and I remember, you know, cause we worked with the networks or we worked with pretty close with NBC because, you know, they did baseball, uh, they had the baseball contracts then. And so I got to know a few of those guys that were very close to, you know, doing that stuff. And I, I remember when they were talking about this thing called cable and they basically laughed at it. You know, they said, well, you know, what the hell are they going to do with that? Are they going to fill that with programming? It's not going to last. And uh, as I said, you know, it, it was a, it was a really it was just this, uh, you know, land of opportunity the way I saw it, because I saw the what, you know, the chance that I'm thinking they've got all of these channels they are going to have to put programming on it yeah. at some point. And and uh, so we started producing shows. Uh, for some of these uh, startups, I remember it was, I think it was Home Team Sports was one of the ones, the first ones we did. And uh, they, they really had a great concept. They, uh, I think it was called Race for the Pennant was one of the shows they did. And then we did this other one. And it was a brilliant idea that where they, we would produce segments. You know, let's say in a show there's four different segments with commercial breaks. And so we would produce uh, let's say it was just a wrap-up of the week of, like, uh, This Week in Baseball, which I also had the chance to work on. And we would produce these segments, and then a local station would pay uh, the production company to have this package delivered every week. And then what they would do is we would send them a script, and then we'd write the on-cameras, and their sports guy would get in front of a camera and uh, do the on cameras and then he'd voice over the segments and it looked like their own really slick looking sports show and we could regionalize it too you know to depending on what area of the country but there were some markets who, that didn't have talent and so i was producing these and i said uh let me host let me just do the ones the generic ones and they're like man what the hell it was one of those places where you know, it was like a fraternity house. All the guys that were that I worked with were, God, there wasn't anybody older than 30. And most of us were pretty much out of college uh, a couple of years in. And it was quite a, a, a fraternity. I mean, and I should say sorority, too. There were some women there that were very, very talented. And people like Mike Tolan, I don't know if you've, uh, you know who he is, but he, uh, it was, uh, he turned into a tremendous director. He... he uh, uh, one of his movies was radio, okay. um, you know, and, and it's just has a list of credits. It's just unbelievable. Did a lot of stuff with Nickelodeon and then, uh, Joe Levine, who is, uh, you know, the guy who's produced all those tremendous HBO, uh, documentaries, uh, Chris Chambers is, uh, you know, huge with the WWE and it was, these are just guys. And there was probably maybe, I don't know, 15 of us. And all of them have just had tremendous careers and it was, uh, and we competed against each other doing these shows. But anyway, uh, 
long story longer is <laughs> me getting that opportunity to host these segments. I started doing more on camera work. They liked the stuff I was doing. And uh, one of the shows we started to branch out, we did a show uh, called Light Moments in Sports. And we had an opportunity to get uh, Joe Namath to host it, which, I mean, you can imagine the playground that was in. Like, I got to do all this stuff, and then I got to work with Joe Namath, who, you know, I mean, for me, he was, I mean, he's the greatest uh, a tremendous football player, but also, you know, the, the most popular bachelor ever in the world. <laughs> and, and we got to hang out with him. And uh, anyway, so uh, we did the show. It's called Live Moments of Sports. It was one of the first blooper shows that uh, was out there where we got, uh, you know, these bloopers because we would always, Major League Baseball had a big thing. We would do these segments every week, but it was just baseball. And somebody said, well, other sports must have these too. And NFL Films did it, but we wanted to do them with all sports. We'd get, you know, hockey, you know, everything, everything we could get our hands on. And we just, we did this show. And and I think there's some, uh, it's on YouTube. You guys can look them up somewhere. Uh, it's called Light Moments of Sports. And Joe Namath was the host. And I was one of the producers on the show. And Joe couldn't go out there and do segments. And they wanted to have some segments that we would produce. So, again, I'm like, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> let me do it. And so I kind of became the correspondent and we would do these crazy segments. You know, like they sent me to, uh, you know, the, the uh, paint, uh, those, those paint dart, uh, you know, where people shoot with the, the paintballs. And I uh, went to uh, this crazy uh, 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 Olympics that they did with all kinds of crazy animals and rode ostriches and, and, you know, just did whatever they wanted me to do. I just wanted to get on TV. And one of the segments we did, we went to the Monster Factory in New Jersey, which uh, Larry Sharp was the guy who owned that place. Uh, he was a wrestler of notes. And we went there and did a segment. And I was the idiot who uh, went there to try and get trained in wrestling. And then, of course, they beat the living crap out of me and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, mocked me and whatever. And uh, somehow, uh, people up at uh, WWF saw it. And um, I had a friend, one of the guys that had worked at baseball had gone to work for Vince up in Stanford, uh, working uh, in their, in their uh, uh, video distribution department. And he called me up and he said, they were talking about you. They saw this segment that we aired on the NBC affiliate in New York. And I told him, I know you. And he wants you to come up and audition to be an announcer. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, I wasn't... I, I knew what was going on with the WWF, but I didn't grow up a big wrestling fan. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but to me, it was an opportunity. I was like, well, what the hell? I mean, what do I got to lose? I'll go up there and they, you know, like, hey, can I give me, give me your phone number? I'm like, sure. You know, so they called me and I went up and uh, I did one audition, which looking back is just insane because I, maybe I was just so naive about what was going on then and, and how much of a, opportunity that was but um so i I did pretty well in the audition apparently and (laughs) i uh i think because i wasn't i just thought oh i'm not gonna get this it'll just be great experience and and two weeks later they called me and said do you want the job i didn't have to go back up i didn't have to uh do another audition they just offered me the job and so that's where it started so who came up with the idea of Ian Mooney? Oh, God, that was... You know, <laughs> if people look so deep 
deep into that. It's so funny. And and they and they still think that I have a sister, uh, <laughs> Betty. Yeah. That Heenan that Heenan came up with just just to you know it was just part of the the ribbing, and uh, and it stuck. Like to this day, people think that I did some kind of bit with that or something. <laughs> so, like yeah, whatever. I mean, if that's what you want to go with, but Ian was really they just needed. Uh, you know, I was in Stanford. Alfred and I, Alfred Hayes, uh, Lord Alfred, we lived in Stanford. And, and you know, it's different now. I think they have more people there, but. You know, the, the, uh, most of the talent lived in Florida and, you know, you could live anywhere in the country, but pretty much most of them lived there. We didn't have any other guys really living up there. Gorilla would come in from uh, down near Philly um, and they would come up like every three weeks and they would shoot everything. And, and, and uh, Gene would come up from Florida. Gene lived in Florida. But we lived we lived in Stanford and they shot, uh, I think it was Wrestling Spotlight. Yep. And Vince would get Vince would start hosting things. He would do stuff, and then he'd just get bored of it, or he'd get too busy. And uh, then there would be an opportunity, and uh, they needed somebody to host Wrestling Spotlight, but they needed me also doing the event center. So Bruce Pritchard said, "Well, let's let's make Sean a twin." <laughs> and uh, or should I or should I uh, you know? Uh, go with the work here and tell you, I, they said, can your brother do this? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, it, it's, I'm still disappointed to this day. It was my chance to be a heel and they never let me do it. You know, they, I, 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 when they first told me about it, I'm like, that's awesome. You know, I get to be this alter ego and, uh, and they didn't, you know, no, just play it straight. You know, you're gonna, you got to be the foil for Sherry and there. And I'm like, oh, God. you know, I was like dying for, <laughs> I was dying for Ian to come out and you know, like smash me in the head with a guitar and take over the event center or something, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> just do some nasty, horrible things. But, uh, you know, Ian didn't get to live up to his, uh, his true character. I think that, uh, he would have been, but I have to give credit. That's, uh, that's Bruce Pritchard who, who came up with that as, as he did many other things with me. Yeah, as a kid, man, I remember watching that and, uh, thinking like what the, you know, whatever happened to that guy's twin brother, like he's just gone all of a sudden, but not, that's that's great. So some some wrestling questions for you here, just because you were there, you know, and you you would probably have some good insight, I would imagine. During nineteen ninety, before, before we get in there, though, uh, I just want to mention though that if people really are curious about Ian, uh, there's an episode of my podcast where um, we 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 re- reunited very briefly, and I actually <laughs> brought him on the podcast. Uh, and it, I just say it didn't go well, but it is worth a listen. So. Uh, there's there's 270 episodes I think we have or, or over 200 original episodes anyway, and uh, you might you can check that one out. Prime time with Sean Mooney. That is hilarious. I will be doing that shortly. Um, so in, in 1998, the year you kind of arrived and had your your full time run with them in the beginning, Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the greatest of all time, was holding the championship belt. Um, did it? Was there a sense around the company that he was just kind of holding on to it? until Hulk Hogan came back and, and kind of, you know, would eventually step in again? Or did, you know, was there a little bit of mystery involved with that? Or was it, again, was it just a foregone conclusion that, hey, he's just keeping it warm for Hogan? Well, I, I think if, if anybody really knew Randy, uh, you know, uh, to Randy, it was never, a, 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 he wasn't going to hold on to a belt for anybody. I mean, to, Randy was an individual who 
was very driven and and Randy was going to just you know siphon every opportunity that he could get so anybody who thinks that that uh, you know that may have been Vince's plan I don't know if Vince really knew what was going to go on with with Hulk because of you know he was he was becoming you know I mean they were mainstream but but Hulk was becoming a superstar and I, I I think maybe he envisioned a little bit what we've seen happen to Rock, uh, to the Rock, you know, to Dwayne, because you know that he would go and then then just move on to you know bigger and greater things. But I think as we all know what happened, I mean that uh, Hulk had quite you know some success with movies, but nothing like what we've seen with with someone like the Rock. So. I think that maybe in Randy's mind, he didn't, you know, if he didn't come back, that's great. But you know, he 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 just would roll with anything, and if uh, they took it away from him, then he would still be on top, you know, uh, working with everybody uh, to do everything he possibly could. And and Randy was one of those guys, you know, you've probably heard the conversation. You don't always need a belt to be <laughs> to make a lot of money or be incredibly popular. Um, Randy, I, to me anyway, was, and somebody could, uh, you know, disagree, but I, Randy didn't need a belt as far as I was concerned. I think that, uh, he was just a incredible performer and, uh, yeah, I don't know if he ever really ever got his due, you know, that, uh, that people ever really recognized what he did every night that, that he went out into that ring, despite what anybody might think of him one way or another, you know, but he was, uh, I don't know if there was too many others that, that gave as much as he did every time he went out uh, from that, that black curtain into an arena. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He was one of my all-time favorites. And the older I get and, and the more old footage I go back and watch, absolutely. I want to ask you this. This is kind of a quick one here. Um, Donald Trump, man, you interviewed him. And it was like – and I couldn't figure out if you – because, you, you know, you didn't seem like you were nervous, but then you kind of seemed a little nervous. I'm like – I'm like, is this like, are they trying to make him like the, the jittery announcer or what was going on there? Like, I have to ask, like, was he intimidating in person? What was he like? Because it's right there on WrestleMania. And I think you might even call him Donald Day Trump, which I thought was hilarious. But like, what was he like? Well, uh, that, you know, that was like one of the worst interviews I ever did. <laughs> I mean, that, and, you know, that was, and that the thing that I think that, that was my first uh, WrestleMania. Yep. And my first, uh, you know, uh, introduction to that world of, I mean, where it was just, my God, uh, you're in an arena with the, uh, you know, thousands of people. It's live. I, I think that, you know, although you could be intimidated by Donald Trump, that was the least of my worries. You know, I just wanted to get through that interview and uh, and uh, I got better. But yeah, I look back at that and, and I, I really, it's, you know, I don't, people rip me about it or whatever, but it was, it was pretty awful. And uh, <laughs> to say, uh, you know, I talk to kids uh, who are, uh, you know, want to get into television and I say, look, bad shit happens. I mean, it's just, <laughs> especially on live TV. And one thing I learned, and that's one thing I learned early on was, yeah, just keep going, yep. you know, and to this day, I mean, I'm on live television every single day and, you know. I still ain't perfect, but uh, it's. I think it's just how you handle it. But that was uh, certainly one of the greatest memories ever. And and it's, you know, it's those things. Okay, there it is, and you're like, oh god, now everybody, <laughs> because the guy, the guy becomes the damn president for Christ's <laughs> sakes, you know. So I feel like everybody has said they sent me that video, they sent me the pictures, they want me to sign them, you know, like <laughs> so. Well. Uh, no, 
no. I was, it was, uh, I was probably, you know, a lot of nerves. Uh, even it even got better though there. Uh, you know, like when I did the thing with the bushwhackers. Yeah, that yeah. went that went well. Uh, I think I settled down a little bit, but that was like my first. I was like, okay, Donald Tr- Trump in front of a Donald Day Trump or whatever the hell I called him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a. It's a fond memory. It's, uh, it's a great lesson in life. You know, I'm like the Rain Man when it comes to wrestling. Back in the day, I just I watched it so much, and I remember all that so clearly because they set you up three different times. You had the Bushwhackers licking you, yeah. which you hung tough for. You did the Donald the Donald Day Trump, but then they put you up in the cheap seats, and you say, you know, who's gonna win this match? And this guy just keeps going, Jake's the man, Jake's the man, Jake's the man, and you're like, you're trying to ask him a question, he's just like, Jake's the man, and you're just like, all right, this guy's gonna say it all. I think, didn't I get like buried in a sea of people? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, it, to me, I, you know, it's, it's funny. People remember so much more than I ever do. It's just kind of like, you know, Gene and I got to spend some time together these the last few years. Uh, and and we would talk about stuff, and we would say, you know, people come in, like, you were, do you remember when that happened? I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, <laughs> you know, because uh, when, when people are, like, fans, uh, uh, the wrestling fans are the greatest fans in the world. And believe me, I have covered every professional sport, every college team, uh, college sports, and uh, nothing compares. There are no, there are no more loyal uh, fans and, uh, and and one way or the other, you know, you always know what you get. They're very, very honest, and it's just amazing to me. I mean, I, this was, you know, I was with the the WWF from what eighty seven until ninety three. I mean, just a little more than I think five years mm-hmm. in a span of my lifetime, and I still get mail. And I know it, it when when things, you know, the, the network came back, and then of course I got into doing the podcast, and that certainly put me back out there, but. Uh, it, it's it just I, I was always amazed that people would find me for one thing, <laughs> and they would send me those baseball cards. And to this day, I mean, I've got three sitting right here uh, on a tray in front of me here that uh, the people have sent me. You know, just asking me to sign and send it back to them from all over the world. And uh, like I said, there's there's no greater fans in the world than than wrestling fans. It, it's it's just blown me away that. Uh, you know that's the way they are. It's incredibly loyal and uh, so smart about what you know things that have happened. It just is amazing to me. But uh, they're great. Oh yeah, I mean no doubt about it. And we'll have to hook up after this. I'll send you a text because if you want to send me a promo photo, I'd, I'd gladly put it in our studio. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Um, so let me ask you this: You mentioned his name earlier in the interview, and he's iconic in a lot of ways. And a yes. lot of people. Yes. You there? Oh, hello. So you mentioned his name earlier in the interview, um, Lord Alfred Hayes. And I have to ask, you did a lot of super tapes with him. Uh, you know, super tapes, another cult classic. A lot of old school fans like myself have them. What was he like? Oh, I hated that son of a bitch. Okay. No. <laughs> I love, I love, Alfred Hayes, I, I, I love that guy. He was, uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, if it wasn't for him, and I would say Gorilla, uh, but never made made it past the first year um, because, as I said, I wasn't really I wasn't smart to the business and, and by any means. And uh, if he hadn't taken me under his wing and guided me along and to, and gave me advice and told me, you know, how to uh, handle things and uh, you know, if 
podcast, the Carney and all the other stuff that went with it, um, I wouldn't have made it. And we became very, very close friends. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, like I said, we both lived in Stanford, so we were, uh, we spent a lot of time together and we had, we just had a ball doing those, those videos, uh, you know, those, those on cameras that we did were uh, just so much fun. And a lot of it early on before those things got really big and they started making bigger productions out of them. But mm-hmm. when, when they first started doing that, uh, they didn't know what the hell they wanted to do with them. And uh, we would, we were over in the, t- over in the tele- television facility. And, and if I don't, if anybody uh, you know knows how it all works or, you know, at least in those early days is that they built the tower and Vince and all of the, you know, the, the corporate part of the company were housed there. And then they had the, the television production facility, which is over on Hamilton Avenue in uh, Stanford. And that was our own little world. Nobody really bothered us much. You know, we would, mm-hmm. Kevin Dunn was there, who was, he was a producer at the time and he produced the shows. But uh, it was a pretty small operation. There was not a whole lot of production people. I mean, when we, we would do shows and stuff, they'd pick up people, crews on the road and stuff. But as far as the core of that company, it was it was pretty small. And at the television facility, you know, you had uh, Kevin Dunn and, and uh, you know, some of the other people there that, that did production, maybe five or six people that we were, uh, you know, putting all the shows together and graphics people and that kind and then people that were sending tapes out, but we were uh, pretty much the talent there. We were there whenever they needed anything done. And, and so when they started doing those tapes, they just like, well, you got to do these wraparounds and they uh, assigned us a producer and, uh, and we would say, okay, so what's the, what are most of these, you know, matches about what was the theme or whatever they're like i don't know and so we (laughs) it was just a collection of matches so we would go and they had this huge prop closet i mean it was a huge prop closet they would keep you know a lot of the stuff and we go shopping and we would go in there you know for example i think there was a tape we did it was uh kind of a navel theme and it was because whatever they had some bit they had done something else and they had like uh, you know some sailor hat in there, and I grabbed a mop or something, and <laughs> and we would basically riff. I mean, we would Alfred and I would just say, okay, so we're going from this match to this other match. Okay, let's go. Yeah. And and that's uh, pretty much how we did it. And uh, for the first, and you know, I don't know how many, and then they started to get really popular, and they started paying attention to it, and they were making money, and that's when it started to. You know, the sets got more elaborate and uh, they controlled us a lot more. But I know there was a few times when Vince would see that and was like, what the hell are they doing? Over? <laughs> you know, like, they, and, and they were, and I remember Bruce still, you know, pulling me aside and Alfred and saying, you know, what do you, you know, this stuff is so random. What are you doing? And, it was, and it's, and, and that's what it's all about now. You know, like, oh, yeah. they, they went, you know, so we were ahead of our time, I think. But uh, mostly it was just we were having fun. Yeah. That's, that was pretty much, but Alfred really—he was one of my my very very dear friends, and uh, it was—I uh, still miss him to this day. I used to talk all the time. Yeah, I think he's Dustin. I think, in my honest opinion, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But you know, maybe uh, that happens. Yeah, he is—he is through the uh, however they do it. Uh, That's right. It's kind of like the uh, you know baseball that the writers elect somebody or put them you know as yeah. posthumously or something. But yeah, that's a that's a crime because yeah. 
not only was Alfred, uh, you know, a great wrestler, he was a tremendous heel that people, you know, never really got to see that side of him. But early on, you know, when he was uh, wrestling, he was, you know, he had that, uh, that snob, uh, look down your nose, uh, at you, look down his nose at you English, you know, uh, you know, asshole. And, uh, he was really good at it. And, you know, he had to be a baby face for all the time. The most of the stuff that we did and when, what, what Vince had him do, but he was just great. And then, you know, those, the Tuesday night Titans and the, sure. uh, when he was Vince's sidekick, I mean, <laughs> he, he did so much of that company early on and, and, uh, was so loyal. Uh, it is, it's a damn shame. I mean, if anybody should be uh, full on elected, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes should have been. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, you, you mentioned your first year being kind of tough and, and you got the, the role of it from there. You know, so one of the guys who had a, a reputation back then, um, and I've spoken with several people who have said this guy was very hard to work with is the ultimate warrior. And again, I'm not trying to speak bad of the dead or anything crazy like that, but, um, you know, at WrestleMania six, they take the belt off of Hogan. They put it on warrior. What was the general, what was the general mood behind the scenes with that? Were, there, were a lot of people for it? They didn't care. You know, they thought, Hey, did this guy really deserve this? What was kind of the thinking behind all that, you know, that you might have heard at the time? Well, if, if you, you remember, like when I came in at, uh, you know, in 87 and, uh, you know, things had really taken off, say, in 85 uh, after the, the first WrestleMania. And so Vince realized at that point and he had started if you, you look at some of their production value before that and then after that, how tremendously different it became. Yep. And, and Vince realized that he was going to have to bring in people from outside uh, to really take it to the levels that he wanted to take it to. And that included everywhere, you know, uh, from the production side, uh, people like me that were, you know, wasn't, I wasn't from, uh, that weren't from the, the world of wrestling. And uh, that included talent, you know, that, uh uh, you know, up to that point, it was very generational. You had guys that had uh, come from the families, people like, you know, the Hearts and uh, Kurt Hennig and, and, and guys like that. You had that one, you know, big part of wrestling. But then you had other guys that started coming in from different worlds. And, and uh, of course, Jim was from, you know, the bodybuilding world and uh, a few other things he had done. Uh, but they saw the talent in him. And... Uh, you know, you had a lot of that happening. They'd bring people in that were just so green and they didn't know how to work. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think Jim was, you know, really ready for that level where he was just catapulted uh, into that situation. And so you had a lot of resentment, but that's, well, that's part of the business. I mean, each one of those guys that worked, you know, they were independent contractors. They, everybody was on their own. So it was, you know, very, very cutthroat. And it was... Uh, the Wild West, uh, you you know, you had a beef with somebody, you settled it backstage, and that was not uncommon. So, uh, sure, there was an awful lot of resentment, but uh, to this day, I mean, Vince McMahon is a, a brilliant marketer, and he saw gold and saw what this guy did when he all he had to do was go out there and shake the ropes to that music, and well, they'd blow the roof off the arena. So, uh, Sure, there may have been resentment, but what it all came down to was making money. And uh, like I said, I don't, uh, you know, fame does weird things to people. I didn't know Jim as a person before he got there, but I saw it happen more than once where people were put in that position and it just changed him. 
And uh, it didn't help the fact that he didn't come from that world, so he didn't really understand it. And, uh, you know, he didn't help himself because uh, he was stiff. And you piss a few of those guys off, man, they give it back to you, uh, as they say, a receipt. And, uh, you know, that was what it was uh, all about then. And, uh, you know, I think it was a combination of things uh, with his personality. So, you know, uh, people, he was tough. I mean, I worked with Jim. There's sometimes I didn't know what, who was going to show up. And that probably had some influence from what he was putting into his body too. But, uh, you know, you never knew, but there were other times where I'd see him spend time with the kid, you know, that, uh, was one of those make a wish kids or, or some, you know, just a kid that had been hanging out. So he was, he was all over the place, but in some ways, I mean, I felt bad for him in the sense that, you know, I, I could, I could understand that, uh, not being part of that world and trying to fit in. And yet he had it coming to him from all sides. And I don't think that, uh, you know, many people can handle that. And, uh, you know, it certainly, uh, I mean, I think that it, you, you think about like what, what that guy might have done if, if, uh, if the circumstances had been different. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of split on that because like I said, I saw the good gym and I saw the bad gym too. I mean, uh, there's some bad, bad times that I spent with him too. Well, you mentioned bodybuilding. So that leads me to uh, my next question. Exactly how much IcoPro do you have sitting in your basement as we speak? <laughs> oh, well, uh, it's, in a, it's in a separate location. Yeah. I just can't, uh, I can't get it marketed. I tried to uh, you know, sell it overseas, but they still don't want it either. Uh, what was that yeah, about? That was, uh, that was just uh, that was a really interesting period of time. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because, as I mentioned, uh, Vince McMahon is a brilliant marketer. It's just, you know, you, the stuff that he's been able to do. But it's, it's, it, it, as long as it's wrestling, you know, like all the, all the other ventures that he's gone into with the movies and uh, you mentioned the, the, the bodybuilding supplement. I mean, he had this, this idea with the WBF that, um, you know, that he was going to change the world of bodybuilding because he'd done it with uh, professional wrestling and he felt what was missing with bodybuilding is he didn't give these guys personalities. You didn't give them people, the fans, somebody, you know, some character, a personality to root for. And so he, you know, brought these guys on and paid them a lot of money, which uh, really didn't give them a good start with <laughs> in the company when it came to the wrestlers because none of them had contracts here. He's paying these guys ungodly sums to go work out and then come to a, an arena now and then and pose. So, you know, that wasn't uh, going to work well. But uh, the other part, as far as a business standpoint, uh, that's not what the bodybuilding world needed uh you know but the way the you know the money was made with supplements and i remember being i was in la for that pay-per-view event and i don't know if you've ever looked up the numbers but i think it it's a record i think it was you know like uh like triple digits <laughs> for the entire pay-per-view i mean <laughs> it was it was awful because remember the guys couldn't do juice right and they and most of them a couple of them you know uh, gary stridham and you know they, they were ahead of the curve or knew how to beat the stuff or something i don't know uh <laughs> i have no idea but i just know a lot of them looked awful and it was just painful it was just i couldn't wait to get out of la that that time <laughs> yeah 
Well, speaking of not being able to get away from something, I got to ask you this. This is one of our fan questions. So if uh, the professional questions I asked you were not bad enough, here are a couple straight from the fans. Um, and like you say, man, their, their memories are amazing. Um, uh, I'll give you a serious one first and then a silly one. The serious one, shortly before you left the company, they put the belt on Bret Hart and started to get away from bigger guys like the Warrior, Hogan, and Savage. You might have just answered that question with the, with the tail end of your other answer, but why do you think Vince went in that direction? I, and obviously that was the exact time as the steroid trials. Yeah, well, I don't think it had to do with uh, not having a monster with a belt or somebody was this, uh, you know, huge cut, uh, you know, athlete. I don't, I don't think that was part of it. I think if you have to remember what was going on at the time, and you had all these guys that were, who were defecting, uh, they were bleeding uh, cash. Uh, the you know business was not good, and uh, you know Brett was somebody that that he could uh, always count on. I mean, Brett, Brett was very loyal, and I think initially when he you know made the plans for that, he really did plan on having Brett around for a long time, and then he made that you know that super deal with him, and then broke it. But uh, I just I, I think at the time he didn't really have too many options, you know. Um, so I, I don't. I don't think the bodybuilding aspect or having you know not having somebody there that people would think was some kind of steroid freak because you know I just think it was what was going on at the time and he had and he needed somebody who who could carry the torch that he could count on and Brett was that guy. Um, you don't have to convince me on that one. Bret, Bret Hart is actually my all-time favorite wrestler. Uh, yeah, yeah it, well, he's right up there with me too. Uh, there's. Uh, there's a few, and he definitely is. Uh, he was, uh, I just thought, one of the greatest ever. And uh, and, and knowing him uh, backstage, too. And uh, so he was the, the total package. No, I agree. Um, so here's the, here's the, another one from a fan, though. This one's a little bit silly. Uh, and this is funny because I've tried to book this guy on the show numerous times. I've gotten him to the phone, and he just always pulls out at the last second. Uh, did Nails really choke Vince McMahon? Oh, yeah. Oh, that happened. What, what do you think that he uh, was vanished? I mean, yeah, that happened. Um, I didn't see it. I was, uh, you know, at the arena. But uh, it, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally believe that, that uh, he was in that room with them, and they, from what I hear, had to pull him off him. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would have. Oh God, I would have loved to interview Nails. I, uh, I would have, I tried, you know, tried to track him down, and uh, just never, never was able to uh, to get him. But I, God, he, he's just a, a fascinating interview. Yeah, I don't know why he hasn't done more. I mean, I know that he sells merchandise and that kind of thing. You think that, uh, you know, that would help tremendously because uh, you know he doesn't do many. But uh, yeah. no, and I got his, I got his promo picture two feet behind me. So he. He, he owns a trailer company in Minnesota, free plug from there. And uh, so I called this trailer company, and um, he picked up the phone. Like, it goes right to his cell phone. So I'm talking with them, and, like, I'm explaining, like, hey, we've had Ken Shamrock on, Ricky Morton, Tom Pritchard. We've had on some good guests in, in from the WWF realm, and uh, but he will not do it. So he sent me, like, a, a promo picture, which I thought was kind of nice. But, yeah, uh, I agree with you. That To me, that would be one that I would love to uh, to get. So, we got two more questions here for you, and, and thank you again. Um, absolutely love talking sports. Um, two questions left. Both of these are for me. Um, so I, I want to ask you, because you're still involved here, who do you think 
are the best overall talents currently in the wrestling industry. Doesn't matter the promotion, you can pick whoever you want. But really, you know, who are like the next three or four big names that you see sticking around for a long time? Oh God. Uh, well, I don't. I don't follow it as as much uh, anymore. Um, but um, you know, I, I see some of these 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 people that uh, you know are, are still around and, and and still. I mean, I you know. Uh, one thing I've always loved about Chris Jericho is that the guy, I mean, if you, if you, you know, tracked his career, you know, how many ups and downs that guy's had along the way and just keeps delivering, you know, and keeps finding a way to make people look at him. And I think that that is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's up there and he's still, still out there. Um, I, you know, the, some of the, the younger uh, kids, I mean, I think like Bray, uh, why I, I, I've always liked Roman Reigns. I've never understood why he hasn't, did never has just taken off. I don't know, if, you know, just some people, you don't know uh, what it is. But, uh, you know, um, I love the Young Bucks. I think they're just incredibly entertaining. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't keep up enough on it, you know, to to really be a judge of it anymore. But, uh, you know, there's, I, I, I'm asked this all the time, <laughs> excuse me. And people want to, you know, want me to, to talk about some of these guys. And I think that one of the biggest, uh, chains about it all is that, you know, back when I worked, uh, in that era, uh, they didn't have writers. Um, and, I'm, I, and I know you've heard this all before, but I'm just, you know, saying from what I saw back then, and it, they were just able to be more original. They were able to to find their characters, and then uh, they they had no choice. They either you know were able to develop them, or they didn't. They didn't last. And I think you know that ability to, to allow them to be uh, have that you know the, be individuals and really deep uh, you know dip. Uh, deep down into a uh, deep uh, uh, ability to find some of that creativeness and, and be allowed to fail that you would, it would be different. And I, and I just think that now you don't have those, those rich characters back then. Everybody had their, you know, Brett was Bret Hart and uh, the Hitman, And you knew exactly what that was about. The honky tonk man was who he was a warrior. Uh, you know, he, those, the, those tag teams was, uh, Axe and Smash and Demolition, they, you know, their their characters were so defined and they lived them. Uh, Roddy Piper, you know, is a great example of that who just said, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I'm just, this is, this is, you know, either it works for me or, or it doesn't. You tell me to go home. And I think that, you know, the money, you know, the contracts, the pressure, uh, the, God, the stage that they're on these days, you just don't see that as much. And, and if you look at, uh, some of the modern era, I guess you'd say, but you know, somebody, somebody like uh, Steve Austin and, or, uh, or, or the rock, you know, they reached that point when they finally said, you know what, screw it. I can't, you know, both of them were at points in their career where they didn't know where it was going. And they just said, you know, Austin had been at it for a long time. And when they both just said, no, you know, I'm going off the tracks here and uh, I either make it or I'm done. And then they reach the, reach the greatest heights ever. So, you know, that's that's pretty much my, my take on it. 
Last question for you, and again, thank you for joining us today. This was a blast, i got to say. Um, you know, every once in a while as a journalist, I could cross over to being a fan again and mix both worlds, and this has been, you know, doing these WDF interviews and, and uh, MMA interviews allows me to do that, which is a great feeling. Um, last question for you, though. So you were gone a short amount of time, you know, in 93, uh, away from the company. You were done with WWF. And about a year after you had left, though, I'm going to say about a year or so, um, ballparking it, Hulk Hogan went to the WCW as somebody who had worked for Vince, had seen their relationship, and really just been you know around that environment. I know you said everybody's an independent contractor, and I get that, but it's so crazy. Like In today's terms, it'd be like if all of a sudden John Cena showed up on AEW, people would be stunned. How stunned were you? Like Were you thinking to yourself, like, holy crap, how did that happen? Because I was, uh, you know, I lived in that kingdom. I mean, uh, you know, I was, it's like, it was Camelot, uh, you know, Stanford. And I, I saw how, I got a really good glimpse at how the business worked. And uh, so, to, honestly, no, I, I wasn't blown away. I, I think that, uh, you know, it, the business is you take the opportunity where you see it. And, you know, people like uh, Terry saw that. And Randy was the same same opportunity. They, you know, Vince had kind of pushed him into kind of this elder role and wanted him to be an announcer and, and he would fill in, you know, and he went down there and, and did, you know, very well. Uh, Hulk reached a whole new level of, uh, of fame from doing that. So, no, I mean, that's the nature of the business. And that's where it was going then, and it was it was big money, you know. Um, I think that you know what they were able to pull off with, uh, you know, having Scott Hall go down there and uh, and uh, Kevin Nash. I mean, that to me was like whoa, you know, just for the simple uh, point that that Bischoff was able to pull that off. But really, no, nothing surprised me. The answer to that question is, uh, you know, it, it was. Shocking in a sense because they both made each other, you know, uh, uh, Hulk wouldn't have been Hulk if it wasn't for Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon would never have reached the heights without uh, Hulk Hogan. But I think when it all came down to it, it was okay. This is business. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, it, it hurt Vince as a few of those other departures did. But I think when he went, you know, bottom line, um, it was business. Well, Sean, great to have you on. I got to throw out this last little nugget for you. Any, and, and, and this is what I tell people all the time. If you've been doing this as long as you have, and, and now I'm, I think I'm year six of, of uh, doing this kind of stuff, okay, there's going to be an article that you put out there that has a typo in it. There's, you, somewhere, somehow, your voice is going to be on the record screwing something up. Um, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, going, going back. Yeah, exactly, right? So going back to that Donald Day Trump, I had to tell you, um, last year, we, like I said, it, ironically, how everything comes back to square one, um, you know, we were doing high school football last year. There was a Hail Mary touchdown pass to win a game. One of the best teams in the state lost on this fluke Hail Mary touchdown pass from easily 60 yards out. This kid just chucked it. <clears throat> and I'm on, I'm on the call, and I say, you know, he catches it, and I'm going nuts, and I can't think of anything to say. And the first words that come out of my mouth, I go, "Sweet Mother Teresa," and like I don't know, like <laughs> where the hell I pulled that out of. 
but like now that's on tape and like it's like okay so that was maybe the dumbest announcing thing i could ever could have said at that moment but it was it, just, it popped in your head so go that just was your boom, that was your boom boom goes the dynamite uh, the, <laughs> that that uh, that video yeah now that's your your signature call, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, and and it's funny because we're here in Northeast Ohio. The team that beat yeah. them, and this is how bad. I mean, good luck, bad luck, whatever luck. The team, yeah. the team that beat them was from Canada. This team, this team in Ohio is so good. They're called Saint Ignatius. That they actually have to play teams from out of state and even up in Canada just to get opponents to play them. So in Canada, this thing went viral. They did a highlight film of the Hail Mary touchdown pass. Took my voice. And had it literally, it had like thirteen thousand hits within a minute of just being broadcast all over Canada. And I'm like, that's hysterical. I'm like, the, probably the dumbest thing I've ever said on on the record, you know. But it is what it is. But honestly, all joking aside, this was great. Um, you know, like I always tell people too. Again, in this industry, you meet people that you looked up to as a kid, even as a young adult. You meet these people nine times out of ten. That you know, they're great people. Every, every once in a while, they're a jackass. So I am glad that you were not a jackass. So I definitely want to thank you for that as well. Yeah. Hey, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is, of course, my uh, my uh, interview persona. I really am a jackass. So, uh, <laughs> no. But uh, anyway, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, Vince. I'd love to have folks uh, check out uh, Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, I, I probably people know at this point, I, I haven't been doing any more episodes. I kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, who's left? There's guys I wanted to get and just, uh, didn't, but, uh, for now we just got it. It's up and you can uh, check out the episodes we did. Uh, God, I think 200 original episodes. We've got, um, just about anybody you could imagine we talked to, but I've also, uh, started another uh, podcast and a YouTube channel called upside of 40. Yes, yeah, and it's it's basically for uh, you know guys that are uh, about my age and uh, and younger of just all the stuff we deal with, and I just I'm having a blast with it and, and interviewing just uh, all kinds of different personalities and stuff that that I've always been interested in in finding out. So uh, I'd love to have people check it out. Just go to YouTube and search uh, Upside of Forty with Sean Woody, and I'm starting this thing from the ground. Like it, it, it you know. Uh, being Sean Mooney is, is, is nobody could give a damn. <laughs> I want to do something for uh, uh, men of a certain age, but uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I've always loved production. I love doing videos, and uh, I'm going to keep doing it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still working. I do uh, I host a morning show out where I am, but uh, you know, that's what I'm doing. And uh, folks wanted to get in touch with me. Uh, you can uh, just email me at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com. Excellent. There it is. And we're going to put a link for uh, Upside of 40 in the actual article. We're going to throw that in there. Uh, that way fans can click right on it for you. Sean, from everybody at Keon Sports, I want to thank you again. I'll be in touch soon. I'm going to shoot you my address for that promo photo, and I'm going to put you right up next to your good buddy Nails. How does that sound? Sounds awesome. Sweet <laughs> Mother Teresa. There you go. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, Vince, take care. Bye now. So that was Sean Mooney. What a blast that was. Uh, great interview, no doubt about it. I want to thank everybody again for listening here on Keon Sports. Mentioning it on the podcast a couple hundred times there, high school football, knock on wood. We will see. Grab your rosary. We'll see where it goes. But uh, it's supposed to happen. And if you want a 30-second ad during our broadcast of high school football, email me, coachfin 14 at yahoo.com. For Sean Mooney and Keon Sports, this is Vince McKee. Have a good night, everybody.